0: We gotta immediately turn it into two, pull out equity, buy another one, trade it for it, then turn it into four and then an eight. And that's when that diversification, the compounding effects of the returns and the cash flow, in addition to the yield, the value can get really exciting for our
1: investors. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Patrick, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with a difficult question here. What's your favorite ice cream?
0: Well, my favorite ice cream is a combination of ice creams because my grandfather one day said, hey, I'm going to go teach you how to eat ice cream today. And he took me to 31 Flavors and he ordered a banana royal with cookies and cream, mint chip and caramel, whipped cream nuts and a cherry. And anytime I go for ice cream and I want great ice cream, that's exactly what I order to this day. And I know exactly where they're located here on the Waikiki strip behind me.
1: <laughs> so. That sounds like a man. I need to know if he was that specific with his ice cream order and that many flavors and combined in one.
0: Yeah. And um, man after my own heart. Cause I, that's what I do now today.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop. What do you do today?
0: Well, we have Invest on Main Street. I'm the CEO and founder. We're a private equity firm. We put together investments in alternative assets. That just means that if you've been working really hard like I did as a professional, I was an engineer and I, a lot of my investors are doctors or attorneys or entrepreneurs or business people that are following the traditional path, putting stuff away in 401ks and IRAs and qualified plans, and, but kind of tired of the roller coaster of the stock market, which all of those have you in. They wanna invest into something that will accelerate retirement and grow throughout retirement. And that's what we provide. And non-correlated investments outside of the stock market, a little better protection from things like taxes and interest rates and inflation and more recession resilient.
1: You had me at protection against taxes as I'm now paying my uh, tax bill for 2022. But before we get into all that, you have an interesting backstory of your real estate journey. Could you take us back? Where did your real estate journey begin?
0: Out of college, I was a mechanical design engineer and the automation company I worked for as a mechanical engineer, I, the founder said that he, mm-hmm. uh, his only regret wasn't going further and deeper into high tech. It was not investing more sooner into real estate. And so that's I took that to heart. I read the purple book, the rich dad poor dad book. Really fell into that. And when I was not very conservative back then, so I was looking for the highest returning deal, wanting to double and triple my money. Young and eager, I did a pre-development right in 2007, and lost everything in 9 and 10,
1: and learned a lot of hard lessons. Uh, And so that's how it began. (laughs) So it was a little bit rocky. So when you say pre-development, were you actually the one developing the property? Were you involved in a different a bigger group that was doing that? What did that look like? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I worked with a developer and i I bought the land myself personally guaranteed it in my own name put up the capital uh, uh, and it was unfortunately a recourse loan meaning they can come after me personally and it was in a recourse state that lets you do that. Um, I was also liable too because i signed on the property in my own name, which means somebody tripped and fell, or there was an injury in the bill, they could come out to me personally. I, I didn't know about asset protection. I have a Forbes article on that asset protection, which kind of addresses a lot of these things that I learned. But it was a, a lot of lessons very early on, and it kind of set the uh, tone for me and humbled me and got me on the path of the tortoise and not the hare.
1: Yeah, usually we don't know what we don't know until something like this happens. I'm wondering if you can look at it from a 2023 perspective, what would you say to yourself in 2007? Because obviously investing in anything has its inherent risk, you felt like you were doing the right things, but it kind of didn't work out for you on the first deal. What What's kind of the gotcha or the, the something that you would have pointed to yourself now knowing what you know?
0: Well, I was speculating. I was not investing. I wasn't buying cash flow assets, cash flowing assets that could support themselves and stand alone. I was hoping. I was buying something and I hoped that I could develop the land to be built on. I hoped that I could build on it. And I hoped that by the time I got through all that, I didn't run out of money because it didn't self-support itself economically. And I hoped that by the time I got to the end, there was a market that would want to buy and or rent what I had on that property a lot of hoping and a lot of a lot of, lot of ways for one card to fall out of that whereas nowadays buying larger apartments and partnering up with individuals with a lot of experience the advice I give what I would have given myself back then is to find more experienced people that are doing low-risk things partner up uh, learn as much as you can and don't try to be the DIY investor <laughs> That. uh I could end up losing it all.
1: Yeah, I was telling an investor the other day who was like, why would I do this passively when actively I could return so much more on my capital? And I'm like, active real estate is hard. No matter who tries to tell you it's not, if they're telling you it's not, they probably only have been involved in real estate for the past three years. But active real estate is very, very difficult. So you had this event that kind of unwound uh, around 2010 timeframe frame. What was your next deal from there? Did you get involved actively again? Did you partner up with folks? What did that look like?
0: Um, so I kind of ducked back into my high tech career at that point. It took me a number of years to recover. I went got a master's in engineering and business. I started doing very well again in the high tech space, automation for places like Tesla, SpaceX, Lockheed. Did a bunch of really cool projects. I uh, started making some pretty big bonuses and looking for the best place to invest. Still had the voice in the back of my head that I needed to start buying cash flowing assets, needed to start diversifying out of the stock market, and didn't wanna bet at all on you know the high tech companies that I was working with. So after a lot of research and kind of analyzing, going to investing conferences, reading books, I learned about recession resilient markets, I learned about asset protection, buying things in entities. <laughs> I learned about you know, non-recourse debt products that they don't come after you personally. And uh, I learned about buying uh, markets where you could buy something that cash flows. I'm in California. I was raised in California. You can't just buy something that cash flows. Learn about doing it like in places like the southeastern states. And, and, but I was still doing it on my own. So I started single family. I started buying single family homes that were distressed, but could quickly cash flow. With a small infusion of capital, and that allowed me to create some immediate equity. It allowed me to have something that stood on its own. Uh, that was proven because it was there and had been there for decades, and the nearby rental comps were very clear. Uh, and then but then what I, I I was very successful. I grew a portfolio of single family homes before. I realized that I was spending a lot of my nights and weekends. I mean, on the TV, they glamorized the whole idea of, of being the DIY flipper, right? <laughs> and, and trying to you know make a quick 20, 40 grand or whatever it is here or there flipping homes. Turns out if you're a, you're a successful professional and you spend a lot of your career being great at something, which is the reason you have money, Doing that again in another place and then spending your nights and weekends on that, it's uh, very subtractive, it's exhausting. And it's also more risky because you don't know what you're doing. And uh, so I, at that point, had to put it on pause when I met my soon-to-be wife because I needed my nights and weekends back. And I did that, married her, and then afterwards we uh, changed our strategy to partnering and trading up into larger assets.
1: Yeah, do you um so I have this conversation with investors all the time around like active investing versus passive investing and my general rule of thumb is that if you're a highly compensated sales professional, entrepreneur, doctor, attorney, whatever it is, you've built a very lucrative skill set to do it actively has to have outsized gains returns to be able to take on the risk as well as learning a whole new skill set because just because you're smart in one area doesn't mean that you could do it in another. What's your general rule of thumb if you're looking at taking an active deal or a passive deal? Like how do you think through that or how did you think through that at that time?
0: Well, if you so if you go to Forbes Asset Protection, Patrick Grimes and Forbes Single Family versus Multifamily, Patrick Grimes. Those are two articles I'd recommend. I've got a bunch out there, but those are two that kind of address uh, those two concepts on active versus passive. And the reality is that uh, if you're going out and about it yourself, it's another job. So, you, first of all, you—it may look glamorized on TV, but it's a lot of work. And most of the people that get in the active role, they have a big dropout. You talk to the gurus charging 40 grand for these coaching practices; I'll tell you about ninety percent they have washout. People just don't realize that they don't want to work hard again to create something all over again. Those individuals end up being really good pass, passive investors for the gurus and, and very knowledgeable. Uh, so I don't, I'm not a guru. I, I mean, I, I put a lot of content out there and I got a best-selling book and stuff. But, but the, also the risks are much higher. If you have great income and you're, you're doing well, when you're an active guy, you're uh, unlimitedly liable like you are with your single-family home now. If you bought a single-family home, Bought it in your own name, you sign a loan in your own name to get better uh, mortgage rates, you're unlimitedly liable for a lawsuit there. Uh, you don't wanna include that same liability to all of your investments. And as a passive investor in our deals, we you're the limited partner, limited in your risk to how much capital you have in the deal. So unlike my first investment back in 2008 when I lost everything and then they came after me personally, uh, the syndication investors, LP investors that invest in our deals, they'll be able to take, we have 26-some properties all over the southeastern states, the Midwest. They'll be able to take and invest as a small piece partner. Each of those investments stand separate from each other. They're protected from each other. And they're, you're protected from them because each of those are in LLCs. And you're not signing on those properties in your own name. So you're not going to be on a liability lawsuit. You're also not signing on the loans in your own name. So you're not going to be responsible for the debt that's taken out. But you get all the benefits, oftentimes similar returns, as going out and doing it yourself. You get better tax advantages because we take on bigger assets that are more favorably taxed. And you get uh, your time back, which means you can now spend your time looking for another partner. To trade up with, rather than spending time learning another profession, again, which you probably won't be as passionate about as the stuff you'd rather be doing with your time. And, and that was just my story. And I think there's a lot of people out there that may be like, no, I hate what I do. I want to become active. Well, go for it. Just go for it with your eyes wide open that it's uh, it's a lot of work. It's risky. And when you get heavy into it, it's going to take so much time. It might sacrifice the thing that's actually carrying you forward in your job. And it most certainly will sacrifice the time for, from your uh, family and hobbies. <laughs> Ask any active guy. It's, that's what it's like.
1: That's it. And um, just to repeat a little bit about what you said, because I thought it was very valuable. You're, as a limited partner, when you're in these deals, you're only limited to the capital that you have in the deal. So if there's any sorts of recourse on the loan, you're not on the hook. If there's any sorts of incidences on the property where there's legal action that needs to be taken, they don't even know you exist. You you have no no risk involved in that. And I think that's important for people to think about because I think in real estate, you've been in this business long enough to know that it's not a matter of if you're gonna get sued, it's a matter of when you're gonna get sued. So if you can limit your exposure to those types of lawsuits, especially if you're like a doctor, then that's probably a good thing to at least explore rather than doing this thing actively. Yep. You nailed it. Um, Looking at your portfolio now, uh, can you tell our listeners, what does your portfolio look like today? Well, we have uh,
0: over 500 million in acquired uh, value add deals. So that'd be about 26 properties, mostly over 200 units, um, some a little smaller that are, 20 to 50 years old for the most part, ones that we were able to pick up at a discount that need renovations fall below the nearby market rental rates. And so we do value add, and we were able to pick those up and then uh, improve our investors' returns through renovations. Uh, so that's what we've been building for some time. We also have some energy funds out there to help diversify a completely non-correlated asset. Uh, and we have some additional investments coming on geared around the recession um, that we're in right now. Uh, and many of the deals that we were going after before in the last decade are no longer advantageous to do so. Um, we built a recessionary resilient portfolio, which will ride out this recession. But it doesn't mean we want to go after the same deals in the same uh, way during this recession. And so, what's exciting right now is we're building the recessionary acquisitions fund, which takes on a wholly different strategy. To pick up as many deals as we can during this time that we can just make our return on buying right and it's not it's not mysterious i mean it's a lot of what the billionaires did when they bought in 2009 or what became what created billionaires were the people that bought things in 2009 and 10 when others were fearful they were greedy as warren buffett says and i was just scraping to stay alive at that point because i had just lost everything but this time around, we've got the right strength in our portfolio, and we have very eager investors to take to participate while the tide recedes in real estate to participate in some of these incredible buys, and we can ride some of those waves in.
1: Hey, fellow investors, before we dive into our next segment of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about a fantastic opportunity for you to invest with me. As you know, here at Ice Cream with Investors, I'm passionate about real estate investing and helping you navigate the exciting world of wealth creation through real estate. And that's why for the first time, I'm thrilled to tell you about an opportunity for you to invest alongside of me. Over the past three years, I've been investing in multifamily, mobile home parks, car washes. I've even become the bank and lent out money to fellow real estate investors on a short-term basis. And now you can come join me. If you would like to jump on a call and learn more about this opportunity, head to icecreamwithinvestors.com slash invest and find a time for us to connect. And now back to the show. So talk to us a little bit about the recessionary uh, acquisitions fund you put together. Is this going to be mezz debt, PREF debt on top of acquisitions that have already <laughs> happened and, and GPs that are in a tough spot? Or are you looking to scoop up new properties that maybe hit the market at a discounted, prop, uh, discounted valuation?
0: Right. So right now, what you see is a lot of dis, uh, distressed owners, distressed operators, that are now looking at becoming distressed sellers. It's not necessarily that the assets and the buildings are bad. They're actually strong buildings, but the owners need out. They need relief right away. And we're looking with the Recessionary Acquisitions Fund right now. And we do have Complement, which would be more the debt fund uh, focused in the future. But right now, the Recessionary Acquisition Fund, uh, we're not looking for long term value at holds. We're not looking to partner with sponsors. We're looking to scoop up properties, mostly direct to owner, that we know that we can get in, we can get our capital out right away. We can make our return right away. So we can move quickly. Uh, As soon as we pick up this property, we can backfill it with 50% loan to value, very low leverage. We can use that to buy a subsequent property, execute our plan on the first, and within as few as a few months to a year, Trade that forward doing tax deferred exchanges into another one that we can buy. And we know it, we, in each of these, we know that we're not focusing on getting the return through a long, multiple year renovation strategy and hoping that our rents grow. We're not hoping that our renovation budgets stay under control. We're not hoping that th- the market doesn't depreciate. We're doing shorter term holds, making the return on the buy, stepping it forward making the return on the buy, trading it forward. And within the fund, that's when things get really exciting because we didn't have that kind of deal flow for those kind of buys one or two or three years ago. And it may be that in one, two or three years ago from now, we can't find that deal flow to buy those kinds of deals without having to do value out and get the returns. But what's exciting is right now you can. So we can move fast. We got to be agile. We got to buy these properties. We got to immediately turn it into two pull out equity, buy another one, trade it for it, then turn it into four, and then an eight. And that's when that diversification, the compounding effects of the returns and the cash flow, in addition to the yield, the value can get really exciting for our investors. How long is the fund going to be open for? We're going to keep playing this as long as we can continue to find the deals. We've been able to find the deals and there's been four acquisitions with the strategy outside of the fund that has proved to us that we can do our strategy enough to demonstrate to investors, look, let's do this in a fund. If we do it in a fund, we can move faster and we can trade forward. Now, that that deal flow is very strong right now. We're, we're seeing right now, I don't know if you've seen the Bloomberg just put out an article that there's a billion dollar, or sorry, a trillion dollar debt wall coming where there's going to be so many different operators needing out immediately. Uh, and it's not that the assets are weak, it's just they weren't prepared. They didn't have fixed long-term interest they didn't have enough they didn't have low enough leverage they didn't have enough reserves for whatever reason it's the owner that needs out it's not that the asset's bad we can jump onto that train so it's going to be very strong for the next year maybe two i start to taper down but the faster we move
1: the more we'll be able to scoop up do you have certain markets that you're looking for for this fund are you just looking for good quality buildings with distressed owners
0: It's a good question. There are uh, to execute the business plan. There are certain things we're looking for, so there are specific markets that we're able to find the types of deals we're looking for in more than others. Uh, So we have, but for the most part, we're fairly we're much more open than we would typically be in our in our normal value add play strategy. And the reason is is because when you're buying a property to spend years setting up shop and improving it you have a lot of concern over the long-term steady state growth, a lot of concern over the influx and outflux of people. You have a lot of concern for the ability to to hire good property management that's going to turn over. Uh, Whereas in this asset, we're actually making the return on the buy. Maybe we're doing some light stabilization of that asset, but then we're immediately focusing on trading it forward. So we don't, we're not as discerning about, all the normal things, but we do have markets we have more experience in, which tend to be the more southeastern, landlord-friendly, Midwest types of types of areas.
1: And you said direct to seller is kind of how you're going to approach this strategy, or direct to owner, I guess, would be a better term there.
0: Yeah. So, which the issue right now, there's there's a lot less trading in real estate, yep. and the reason why is is because. The sellers have these expectations that prices haven't gone down. If they talk to a broker, the brokers are not really good at um, convincing them. The brokers just want their business. And so the brokers will come in and be like, hey, look, I can get you this price. And then they'll go shop it and everybody says no. Well, now you've got an owner with the wrong expectations set. So it is true that we're getting some off market deals from brokers, uh, but it is true that the the we're going to target as our primary source we have specific software and an acquisitions engine that does target directly to the owners so that we can move very quickly and we can scoop these up and they're a little bit like whack-a-mole when you find them right you got to you got to you got to move quick before it disappears but brokers we have a lot of broker friends and it's not a knock on brokers it's just that in this particular day and age getting these kinds of deals it's better to go direct
1: yeah and i, I want to Put some context around this. Like everybody right now, if you own multi multi-family or any kind of big commercial asset, your expectation is anchored in 2021 prices or 2022 prices. We haven't seen a ton of trades in the multi-family market these this year, so because of that, there's price discovery. We don't know what things should be trading for or what they will be trading for. But if I'm an owner, my expectation is rooted into 2022. So like our strategy has been, we have built a pretty good portfolio. We believe that brokers will remember that we can close, we can close quickly, and we've got the capital to go do those sorts of things. But to your point, if it gets to that broker stage, then chances are the customer, the, the seller has their expectations set, again, unreasonably because a broker is trying to win business, as well as theirs is based off of a percentage of the selling price. So obviously, they're going to want to try to sell it for higher. So I'm I'm very interested in in your strategy and how you're approaching this, and and maybe we can talk about it offline. But I think this is a good opportunity for this type of fund vehicle to go find distressed owners right now and and make some good quality acquisitions. Yeah,
0: I think you said it very well. It's not it's not dissimilar from what all the single family wholesalers are doing, right? They're just better marketers, but it's not that common that we can pick up commercial assets at these kinds of discounts. We did, we have before. For example, we picked up an asset uh, in Canopy Creek, was the name of the asset in Jacksonville, Florida, a little over 200 units. And one of the owners was was very ill. It was an off-market kind of tip we got that they may wanna exit and very quickly, we used a family office to pick up and pay for uh, the entire acquisition. We backfilled it with this, with a capital raise in a, in a, from accredited investors in a syndication. Um, we sold it 10 months later for $10 million gain. We had bought it for $27 million, sold it for $37 million. It's not, a, I mean, we've, we've done this before on larger assets, and it's not just similar from these other strategies. It's just more common now, and the deal floor is there now to actually create a fund around it rather than this just be kind of the odd, like random win. Right. And, and just to apply the basic principles that we've been doing before, but to scale it at this time.
1: Yeah. Wait, uh, $10 million gain on $26 million acquisition. I, I don't know if that's at the risk of running public math. That sounds like a 40% return. That's, that's not bad in 10 months. Yeah, it was,
0: yeah, it was quite a bit higher because there was, um, there was some leverage. Um, but yeah, it, it went very well. And we 1031 exchange our investors into a subsequent investment in Houston. And uh, and this fund, that's exactly what we're doing uh, with the ability to just bring in the capital, close quick, and then do a 1031 exchange to an immediate next asset. Um, at, we'll do a refi, and then a 1031 exchange allows us for that agility to move much faster. And some people are like, well, wait a minute, if you have a, if you sell an asset, I, I get profit, right? Well, that's the whole point of this fund is we'll distribute cash flow. But the whole point of this fund is to use that, keep recirculating that capital back in, and continue to buy very quickly more and more assets. And so that cash flow begins to compound, your yield begins to compound. And that's when it gets real exciting. Every year it gets much higher. So the the underwriting for is it's gonna be a lot of fun. And we you can see the if you look at the the assets we've acquired outside the fund they kind of demonstrate our ability to 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 meet the returns and with timeline, we're able to meet them. It, it's the proofs of the pudding, right? It's something that we can do. We're just going to scale it.
1: Yeah. Well, it, Patrick, we have a lot of listeners of our show that uh, are limited partner investors. They're listening to this. They've heard about real estate. They want to get involved. But you're a guy that's been through the booms of the 2020s, 21, 22 time periods and the bust of the 2007, to 13 time period, let's call it. If I'm a new investor right now, I want to get involved in real estate as a limited partner. How do I navigate this space? I hear a lot of doom and gloom and recessions and geopolitical instances and election coming up in 2024 and this mounting debt wave that's coming. How do I navigate this sort of environment right now?
0: You duck and hide and cover. (laughs) I think that's what the people on the news want you to do. But no, I mean, you think about like, it. what year could you not ask that question and it'd be because there's always this fear mongering going on in the world. And every no matter what year, there's always gonna be something that's gonna cause you to go duck and cover. And and it's true, I've lost my hair. <laughs> I've been I've been through know. it. Yeah, I don't have any hair left, but my I've been through it. So it's, it's, and, and each recession is a little different. Like we have, I just did a presentation on how we fortified our deals in, from past recessions to write out recessions. But then now here's a new recession with different things and what you need to do differently. So, th- what, you, what you need to do is, is find operators, find partners uh, like us that, to Matt's point, have, have been through it, have seen downturns, have seen, have, have seen how the economics can shift, have seen how the demand can shift and that can speak towards, or are speaking towards an appreciation for that. And they'll have a long conversation with you about how they fortify their deals for the unknown future uh, uncertainty uh, events that may have occurred like they did in the past. And when you can have a great conversation with somebody and they understand your questions, I think you're on the right track. Um, I look for a lot of people with uh, track records, They'll, they'll let you talk to their investors, it's important. Um, I wouldn't look so much as to people that are necessarily on stages and, and tr- getting out there and getting the message or selling coaching packages. i look for more people that have, have done the deals, uh, have the track record, can show the proofs in the pudding, and have been around long enough to show that they have the fight to stay in the game, and, and they're a little humble. I mean, there's still people out there doing a lot of deals as if we're not in a very challenging time, which we're obviously in a very challenging time. That's why there's an opportunity. (laughs) It's because we're in a challenging time. And, you know, if you get, if you duck and cover right now, you're going to be kicking yourself because, man, I wish that I had been available. I wish I hadn't been too greedy, too young. I wish I had had my funds to invest and I had taken the tortoise approach. I not lost it all in the first recession before it, but I have the ability to take advantage of the good deals coming out of the 08 bust. Um, and so this is that other chance. This is that chance. You don't want to miss it. It's been two decades right, since we've seen an opportunity kind of like this. So I I, muster up the courage and get on the phone, talk to sponsors, see what they're doing and and give it a shot.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of those people, I would point towards the 2010s, 2011 time periods when we all were scared with what's going on with real estate. We felt in 2015 that real estate was too high. And if you sat on the sideline for the past eight years, I mean, you missed out on a huge bull run. So I'm not saying that the next eight years will replicate that, but I certainly will say that 30 years from now, real estate in major metropolitan areas will probably be more expensive than it is today. So getting with the right operators in the right markets is always a good uh, long-term strategy to navigate tough times. Agreed. Um, Patrick, I want to take us now to our last round. I'm calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift?
0: So I'm gonna go with recently. Uh, a CEO does these three things by Trey Taylor. He's an awesome guy. And I read, I run every morning. I'm a I'm a runner and I always listen to I, I'm a big subscriber of the Miracle Morning. I listen to educational content, whether it be podcasts, audiobooks, TED Talks, always looking for that. This book, if you're serious about leading your organization and you're a CEO, I think you should read it or listen to it three to five times because each time I go, it's so densely packed with great stuff, great analogies and stories. It's a lot of really good content that really helped to brighten up uh, my organization and sharpen, sharpen my, my, my direction on what I
1: should be doing. How long are your runs in the morning?
0: It depends. <laughs> As I get That's older, they're the right shortening. Answer. It used to be like five, six, seven miles. And now they're maybe like two to four miles, depending. And and uh, when I'm in Hawaii, like I am now, I often will either run to my surfboard and or I'll run with a snorkel uh, just to change things up a little bit and hop in.
1: There you go. We'll nerd out on some running after this then. Our second one is, I believe the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have every day?
0: Uh, well, I shave my my head, <laughs> my the remaining hair on my head. Um, yeah, my habits are more around uh, making sure that I I spend my I do my Miracle Morning routine. I spend my time uh, in, in silence. I spend my time with affirmations. I spend my time on my runs while simultaneously uh, listening, and then I do take. For, for, um, fervent notes. I'm a, I've got two master's degrees, so I I learn a lot. I write a lot. I have got, got a lot of stuff out, so I, I scribe as well. Um, and then my wife and I, we I carve out time on my calendar where I take I get to spend time with our little newborn, Emory, seven months, and I get to do that at lunchtime and then in the in the evening. And then my wife and I will, will go on walks uh, in the evening, spend some time with each other. In fact, just before this podcast. I was able to join her on a walk to walk over to the to the aquarium, and I had to hustle back. So um, you got to take that time out with the family.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You only get it once. Our third one is: What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I have received so much good advice.
0: (laughs) This is a tough one. Um, Well, I've already shared the one that kind of spurred me down the road, and you know, my regret was only to invest uh, more sooner into real estate. Um, One thing that I probably would say is that uh, uh, I was told by a mentor who looked at me and I was being the engineer, I constantly keep my head to the grinding wheel and just get the work done. I didn't get my name out there. And he explained to me that I've been through a lot. I had a lot of stories and I had a lot of things that would relate to people and help them on their journey. And he told me that investors uh, make a decision to invest upon trust, which is an emotional response, upon the relatability of that person and how they see that happen for their lives too. And then they justify that decision with logic. And as an engineer, I was very you know, data-driven, logic-oriented. And I had a lot of success because I, was, I, was, you know, I had a lot of engineers investing with me. Uh, But in order for me to get my story out, I had to get vulnerable and I had to share my failures like I did today. And I had to build, explain what I went through and that I was a once a professional slave in a way. And and then I could make a better impact uh, on people's lives and I could shift their mindset. And a lot of people don't know they have a mindset shift. They need one. If they need one, they don't know that they need one. (laughs) And so you got to be that relatable person. Uh, and that kind of transformed who I was, because turns out once I got out of my habit hole, my engineering habit hole, and I got in front of people, uh, it became a lot more fun.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. People make decisions instantaneously, gut and emotion wise, and then go back and justify it. And it's hard to mm-hmm. not see like, why are you doing it this way when that's the way they uh, make decisions. Our fourth right. one is: What are you most proud of in your life?
0: I think I'm most proud of the fact that. um I've now gotten to a point where, like, for example, during Covid, we were struggling with where we lived, which was a beautiful spot, but we were quarantined uh, like everybody else, but we were also uh, uh, in the middle of riots in in Southern California. We were also curfewed. And then there was fire. So we you know it, it's in times like those when it's like, wow, you know I, I, it was it was a little bit rough, like it was for everybody. But we had worked hard and gotten freedom, financial freedom. We had worked hard and we had gotten location freedom. And my wife came out and said one day, hey, I was talking to some people and what about moving to Hawaii? Two and a half weeks later, I had us on a plane. And the ability to, we worked hard for a lot of years to be able to have the freedoms that we have. And. And I would love to help create other investors, uh, other professionals to help them along that path as well, because it wasn't until we started investing passively and creating that steps towards streams of income, which are outside of the day job where any of that was possible. So that's perhaps where I feel like I'm most proud of that. Now I get to spend that time with my family. I get to have the freedom to be where we want to be and uh, and give back to causes that I care about. Cause I'm not so inundated by a boss like I was back then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the dream for everybody. Our fifth and last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why?
0: It's got to be elon musk because man he is just one of the and i've actually done some robotic projects with his team and I've, i've i've heard that he's actually looked at and scrutinized you know some of like the rotor assembly robotic cell that i i worked on as an engineer but we've never met man he's such a peculiar guy man after my own heart and and i'd love to sit down and have a conversation with him and just understand what makes him tick and what i what ideas he has for ai that could transform the investing space
1: as a as a engineer i kind of thought you were going to go that route oh,
0: okay yeah very predictable
1: <laughs> <laughs> well he's the number one uh person that's uh, mentioned on that question so far
0: oh interesting okay
1: yeah um well, Patrick, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about um, the Recessionary Fund, uh, the Recessionary Acquisition Fund, or get a free copy of your book, where is the best place we could point them?
0: Yeah, so Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers is the name of the book. You go to invest on main and then street, invest on slash book and you'll get to the secret link. That secret link is where I offer a free copy of my book, a hard copy. I actually signed them and we send them out and Persistence Pivots and Game Changers. It was a collaborative book. I, I'm, I did a chapter along with the um, lead guitarist at Def Leppard, some NFL, NBA players, entrepreneurs. It was just a really fun, a lot of rock stars in there, literally, and some others like me <laughs> that, that kind of tell it all. And I tell my whole story and I'd be happy. It was a bestseller. And I just, I, I like the fact that I, I get good feedback from people that read it. So I, I'm happy to give you a shoot, shoot out a free copy of that sign. Um, if you want to go there, I, I love being able to talk to investors. It's one of the things I love about this business. So if anybody would like to set up a call, uh, we we do have 100,000 minimums and we uh, are limited to accredited investors in our investments. Now, even if you don't meet those criteria, I'd be happy to talk with you. I know others that are uh, that have smaller minimums and deal with accredited investors, non-accredited investors. So if you want to go to investonmainstreet.com slash contact, uh, investonmainstreet.com slash contact, uh, set up a call. Uh, you can see my calendar right there. I know I, have, I know I have times each week and I'd be happy to sit down with you, understand your goals and get you pointed in the right direction.
1: Awesome. We will leave all those in the show notes. And then Patrick, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.